one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are what you're capable of and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today we have a treat. We've got Sarah Milken of the Flexible Neurotic on the show with us, another podcaster. And I'm excited to talk to Sarah because she's one of the OGs in this midlife space. She's been talking about more than menopause in this space. I think she calls it the midlife remix. And so I'm excited to get into that conversation with her. Let's welcome Sarah to the show. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, Netta. I'm so excited to be here. This has been in the works for a long time, yes, and it I'm has. so glad I got to see you at your amazing event a few weeks ago. Thanks for coming to that our inaugural event. I know it was <laughs> so good. Job well done. Thank you. We'll have to chat about what to do for the next one. I'd love your feedback <laughs> since you're somebody who's in the space and has been in the space for a while. Let's talk about. You launching your platform and your podcast, The Flexible Neurotic. First, talk about what it is. Basically, The Flexible Neurotic is a podcast that I started almost three years ago as just a personal thing for me. I was 45 years old. I had the midlife itches. I wanted to start thinking about what was next for me in midlife, and I kind of came to this idea of like, hey, I really like to research. I like to ask questions. I like to get to the bottom of things. And the biggest topic in my mind at the time was midlife and how am I going to face that? And I thought, well, if I'm having all of these questions, there must be hundreds of thousands of women across the world asking the same questions. I started this kind of project, if you will, and it became a thing. And it wasn't intended to be a thing. It was intended to just be, you know, a way to scratch my midlife itches. And the flexible neurotic is basically describes who I am. I think, like on the surface, people are like, "Oh, she's chill." Both of my kids' friends are like, "She's so chill," and they're like, "Yeah, wait till she closes that door. She's psycho." <laughs> And so I think it's kind of that's where the flexible neurotic came from. It was like I dig for information until there's no more digging to be left, and then I feel really comfortable with my decisions and my choices. And so that's how the flexible neurotic came to be. And the podcast is essentially a platform for inspiring and normalizing. The midlife self reinvention journey, which, as you know, includes so yeah. many different things, and it's not just menopause and dry vaginas. <laughs> it's 
what's next for us? And it's empty nest and it's spouses and aging parents and libido. It's, it's so many more things than just what we call menopause. Okay, you've said like three things that I'm trying to remember and keep them in order because I want to ask these questions. Which is obviously hard with brain fog, right? Midlife brain fog. That's actually very hard with brain fog. But you talked about research and digging and really getting to the bottom of things. And something I didn't say at the top of the podcast is you're actually Dr. Sarah Milken and you have your PhD. So when you talk about doing research, like this is who you are. This I is know. who you've been. This is who you are. You're putting in this this into practice. And you've taken time to raise these two children. So tell us about that. Tell us about going from this person who really dedicated their early life to research, to being a doctor, having a PhD, and then going into the years of stay-at-home mom, and then coming back to this and saying, wait a minute, how do I bridge the gap, find the intersection of these two things? Because there's opportunity for me to talk about what I know, what I've experienced as a mother raising two children, as somebody who's stepping into midlife. But also, I've got this muscle that I know how to do the research. I know how to put these things together. I know how to get to the bottom of things. Tell us a little bit about that and bringing those two things together. I mean, my basic story is that I went to public school until the ninth grade. Then I went to private school. When I switched from public to private school, the stakes got a lot higher. It was yeah. the kids who were all trying to get to Ivy League colleges. And I was like, who are these people and what's happening? But that was the narrative, you know? And so yeah. I was in that narrative and I followed those things that are kind of put upon me or in us at the time. And I did the Ivy League thing. I got my PhD at USC when I finished. And yes, I was like the research. I call myself the pretty nerd, you know, <laughs> like a little Reese Witherspoon and, you know, legally blonde, yeah. maybe without the dog, you know, and all the pink. You're not wearing quite all yeah, the pink. Some yeah. of the pink minus the dog, even though I would love the dog. But as my husband says, he's like, you're not really like a dog owner. I'm like, yeah, that's because I've raised two kids. I'm not like cleaning yeah. up dog vomit, too. That's your job. On top of it. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, I did the kids, you do the dog vomit. But I would say that for me, looking back on it with hindsight, uh, which is always easier, I would like to say that I lived my life in seasons. And I think a lot of women can do everything at the same time. And a lot of women choose to not do everything at the same time. Yeah. And a lot of it also comes down to um, financial circumstances and your family and what your family setup is. And for me, I grew up in a house with two working parents and my mom was a CEO and my dad was a dentist. And like, I could not have gone to private school or done a lot of those things without both of my parents working. So for me, I always grew up thinking like, I'm going to have a career and I'm going to be a CEO and I'm going to do this because that's what I grew up with. And I didn't know anything else. Like my mom didn't drive carpool. My mom did not make brownies. That wasn't part of who I am. And I never questioned it because that's just all I knew. Fast forwarding to, you know, through college and my doctoral program, I was teaching at the Graduate School of Education at USC and I was pregnant with my son and I had him and then I was like, wait, I don't wanna leave. I don't wanna leave the house. I can't explain it, I can't pinpoint it, but it's just this like visceral gut feeling. And my parents were like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, we didn't raise you to not work, to do to this. Do this. Yeah. yeah. It, it was just sort of like it wasn't in our bones and in our energy. And I think at first they were very judgmental, like what the fuck is happening here? And probably concerned. Yeah. They wanted their daughter to have agency, Yeah, it was like, right? why yeah. did you go through all this schooling and do all of this? But then I think that, you know, they weren't mad. They were just sort of disappointed. And then they saw what kind of mom I was and how involved I was. And I was on all these boards and doing all these things that they were like, okay, we get this now. We get this now. 
Did I think I was going to be a stay-at-home mom for 16 to 18 years? Absolutely not. And every five years, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Okay, I'm going to do that. And I don't know if it was I was healing ancestral trauma of having a working grandmother. <laughs> That's like a yeah. whole other story. My grandmother like came off a boat from Yugoslavia, never finished high school, and ended up being the president of Gucci. Wow. And then my mom being a CEO. So it's like we sort of have this like whole line of working women, and then there's Sarah. You know what I mean? So it was definitely like a change up of like the ancestral line. But it sounds like you've picked up the baton. Exactly. So it's the season thing. So like yeah. I did the mom season and now my kids are 19 and 17. And three years ago, I was like, okay, I have a horrendous case of these midlife itchies. I've, I've got to do something and it has to be something that's my own. It can't be like related to my husband or my kids or whoever. It right, just has to right. be mine. And I needed some kind of creative outlet. I'm not an artist. I don't paint. I'm not good at ceramics. For me, like you said, the art is in the research. Yeah. And how do I take all this information that I'm gathering and put it into some kind of creative platform that is relatable, irreverent, slightly sassy, that kind of matches my personality, that other women could be like, oh, wait, me too. Like, I, I feel yeah. like that too. Is she reading my mind? And that's basically how I got here, is taking my research skills from my PhD and kind of putting this lens on to midlife of there's going to be experts that say intermittent fast and other experts who are like, don't intermittent fast and do this and do that. And for me, it's not about deciding for midlife women what's best for them, but it's about curating, gathering and presenting the best in the field. And obviously, as we know, a lot of times the best in the fields have different opinions. And me as like a researcher, podcaster, content creator, it's let me present these differing perspectives, let women listen to these experts, try things out and figure out what works best for them. Because as we all know, what works best for one person doesn't work best for all. Yeah. And it's really a game of trial and error and self-advocacy, which is a whole other topic that we can get into. I totally get what you're saying and I respect it. And I, I would say that we're even aligned in that way, that I feel like my job is to be a knowledge broker just to bring you the information, it's really on you, the listener, the follower, the attendee, to take what you want from it. Yeah. Just like there were lots of ways to go through puberty, there's lots of ways to go through menopause, just like there's lots of ways to have relationships, there's lots of ways to heal relationships. So I think it's really curating that information, as you said. By the way, your son followed in your footsteps. I just put that together, <laughs> that he also is at UPenn. Yes. That's actually very sweet. And my husband. And your husband, did you and your husband meet there? My husband and I met in ninth grade in high school. Wow. I know. That's amazing. I know. So you actually have taken the digging a little bit further. You have this whole golden shovel thing. Tell us a little bit about that, why you came up with that. It's more than just kitsch. I think... For the people who know me on a personal level or see me on Instagram, like I can be a little extra. There's like a little <laughs> glitter eyeliner. There could be like some pink fuzzy sweaters, you know, a little extra. I wear makeup even if I'm working out, all the things. <laughs> I'm like totally exposing myself, but why not? I love it. This is the beauty of being in midlife. Like who cares? Exactly. You know, when you think about midlife, a lot of times you're thinking about like, kind of being in the trenches for better or yeah. for worse and figuring things out and digging up information and shoveling shit for lack of a yeah. better term. And I think the golden shit shovel was like this symbolic representation of you guys. It feels shitty sometimes, but we can kind of reframe this and grab our golden shit shovels, take agency and start digging. No. Because so much of this experience feels like it's happening to us, which it is. Like mm -hmm. menopause and the phys physiological, psychological and physical changes are just par for the course. They're coming, yeah. whether you like it or not. But the piece that we can control is the agency piece. Like, yes, this is happening to us, and we can also take agency and self-responsibility 
and dig for the things and dig for the golden nuggets that are actually gonna be our answers to what happens next for us and how we feel relevant again, how we feel visible again, how we feel recharged in life again, because so many of us are have been defined as moms, as wives, as career women. And while those labels can seem very suffocating, they're also very comfortable. Yeah. And it gives us pur- they give us purpose. I'm a mom, I'm a podcaster, I'm a doctor, I'm a businesswoman. But then when your kids start going off to college or getting jobs and moving out of the house, and if your identity label is being a mom, that identity starts to feel like you've been shaken a little bit. And someone says, what do you do? And you're a stay-at-home mom and your kids aren't living in the house. That feels weird. Yeah. And you feel like, oh, what what do I say now? Oh, I was a stay-at-home mom and now I'm an empty nester. And there's nothing wrong with saying that because obviously that's the honest truth. But I think it's society's expectations of everyone always has to have an answer to what do you do? What do you do? What's your thing? And I think part of this journey too is Some of us are not going to have this thing. Some of us are not going to start a business, write a book, start a podcast. Some of us are going to figure out other things, hobbies. I always make jokes with my friends, mahjong, pickleball. Pickleball. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like other forms of connection in this journey. It's not always going to be some kind of, you know, business pursuit or things per se. And if you want to, and you can afford to wake up every day, make breakfast for you and your family, go for a run, do yoga, and then go meditate, and that's what you want to be doing, then go for that because you only live once and we have an opportunity now because we're living so much longer. The second half of life runway is so long in a good way, but we have to figure out what that runway is going to look like for us and be open to it and be healthy and prepared for it. So I think taking advantage of all of this cutting edge research about the need for muscle mass and how muscle mass helps with you know brain cognition and your physical self and kind of looking at life backwards a little bit, like, okay, I'm 48 years old. What are the things based on cutting edge research that I can be doing in my life right now to make my life at 70 and 80 that much more efficient, effective, happier, purposeful, and healthier? I think exactly what you're talking about. It's something that I've repeatedly said on this podcast, which is because we're living longer, I think we're starting what you're calling the midlife itchies. We're starting to think about, well, what is next? And for some, maybe it is what you described. I had somebody come up to me at my conference and say, this isn't for me. I'm not in your demographic. And I said, tell me why. And she said, because I'm happy with the way my life is. I'm not looking for any reinvention. And I said, there are things that are changing in your life that aren't necessarily about you going for a new business, a career change, whatever. And I think that when we think about reinvention, when we think about these sorts of things, we automatically assume it means that. It means a career shift. I believe what we have to consider is What are you going to do with this time? I think by nature, we all want to have some sort of impact. Maybe that's impact on your own family, on your own self, on your group of friends. Maybe that impact is wider and it's a podcast, like something you're doing. But I think there needs to be an acknowledgement that there is a need innate in us for something that drives us, some sort of purpose, some sort of connection. This is going to be tough for people to hear me say this and they're going to get mad at me. But how long do you think somebody can do if we're living longer? How long can somebody do Mahjong? What else should there be or could there be or should we at least ask people to consider? I personally think that whatever you want to call it. It's sort of like with stay-at-home mom, housewife, this, that. There's like 18 different names and titles, whatever feels good for you. But I think for what you're talking about, it's really like this idea of personal evolution and personal expansion. It's a great distinction. Like if I'm at a dinner party, 
I would want someone to say, what do you do if they had to ask that? Because sometimes people don't have good conversational skills and that's like the first thing they ask. Sure. Which is obnoxious. And it's funny yeah. because I asked my husband once, I said like, oh, what does that guy do? He's like, I don't know. I said, I don't understand. You just like had a whole conversation with him. He goes, Sarah, <laughs> I don't ask people what they do. That's like a very off-putting way of like introducing yourself and having a conversation. And I really respected that. And yeah. I took that with me and I was like, yeah. And I thought about it because I've had the same thing happen to me for the past 18 years. It's like, well, what do you know? You're just like a stay-at-home yeah. mom. It's almost like they're deciding if they should dismiss you or if you could do something right. for them. And then I felt like a lot of the time I was justifying it. Like one guy said to me in the school parking lot in elementary school, he made some comment to me like, what the fuck do you know? Whatever. And I was like, well, I mean, I do have a PhD and I am a trustee on the board at your, the school that your kids and my kids go to. And he was like, oh, I thought you were a housewife. And I was like, yeah, no, I am a housewife. And there's that and word. And yeah. I do all these other things too. But I guess my going back to your main point is I almost wish that like you, your answer could be at that dinner party. I'm a self-expander. Yeah. Like I'm taking up whatever I feel that week feels good for me. Like, I'm going to try that meditation class. Like, oh, I'm going to, you know, start taking up the Torah reading class that I've wanted to do for 20 years and haven't done. I'm going to learn a language. Finally start to take care of my body. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, even if it's as simple or not simple as, you know, I'm going to start walking 10,000 steps a day. Mm -hmm. Or I haven't read a full book in a really long time. And I think that if we can get over the judgment piece of like, how big is your hobby or how purposeful is your hobby? Because I think there's a place for Mahjong and I think there's a place for pickleball. And I also think there's another place for, I don't know if it's like religion or spiritual connectedness, yeah. something like yeah. that. Because if we look at the world today and everything that's happening in it, I think there's so much of the hate and the anger and the disconnection is because there isn't this spiritual fulfillment. If you look at 18 to 24 year olds, like their religion right now is TikTok. Mm. We're in this like spiritually vacant place. And I think midlife women have an opportunity at this point in our lives where we begin to doubt our identities. They feel a little bit shaken, feel a little bit lost. We're starting to feel invisible. I think a lot of us are looking for some kind of purpose, spiritual connection. And for every single person, it's going to be something different. You've made so many really important and great distinctions. And I'm going to steal some of them as I go forward, <laughs> because I think you've articulated something really important. And that is this idea of expanding, that it's really not about when we talk about what you're going to do next, it's not about how are you going to impress the world with this new season that is ahead of you. It's really what are you going to do that is, I believe, something that's already inside of you, a curiosity you already have. It's something that's already been brewing or bubbling up, and you have an opportunity in this season to move forward. The other thing I think is important that you said is talking about society's view of us, that we become irrelevant, that we become invisible. And what I think is so great about what you and I have been a part of, what you've been a part of for three years, is owning that ourselves. Let's not wait for society to decide if we're visible or invisible. Let's take it on upon ourselves to move into this season and to discover what's next for us. When we do that, we will command the respect that we think that we deserve from society. But let's not wait for them to give it to us or to open the door for us, whoever them is. Let's take it upon ourselves. The other thing I think you've said that's really important is this idea of this spiritual vacancy, right? This space that people are trying to understand and reconnect and find meaning in. And I've gotten on this soapbox before and I'm gonna do it again. But women in midlife have an opportunity to be healers in this space, to call attention to these things that, you know, we've, we've lived a little bit of life. We know a little bit of what it's like to be connected and what it's like to not be connected, what it's like when 
we're living in political harmony-ish and what it's like when there's such discord that the world feels upside down. And I think when we kind of look inward and we look at what our own curiosities are, oftentimes those things can heal another person. What you're doing, your midlife itchies are something that brought other women to your podcast to say, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. They became connected to you, to your story, to themselves. They didn't feel alone. That's because you took it upon yourself to identify your own curiosity, lean into it, do something about it. And the full circle moment is that you gave that gift to somebody else. That's where I think there's opportunity for women in midlife. And do they need to start a podcast? No. But if they could be honest with their friends about what they're going through, then there's going to be more connectedness in that. If people could start to discover and expand that vacant space in themselves, they can start to heal their own issues, their generational issues to go back to your grandmother. And that's amazing, by the way, that she didn't have a high school degree and became, what was it, the president of Gucci? The president of Gucci, yeah. That's amazing. There's a book. There's a book ahead of you. <laughs> okay, yeah, you write it with me. Okay, right. okay, it's a deal. <laughs> Let's take midlife together. But I appreciate everything you said. Thank you. Oh, of course. And I, I think it's true. I think you're bringing some things into light, into the light that we can sort of inspect and say, wait, there's a lot here that Sarah's talking about. Which leads me to my next question. I think part of your popularity, the popularity of your podcast, your kitschiness, your fun, is that we do have a sense that Sarah's kind of my BFF in the midlife space. She's keeping it real. She's telling me what I need to hear. She's making me not feel alone. Do you think that's part of the magic of what you've been doing and why you've had so much success with the podcast? A thousand percent. I think for me, and I've talked about this before on my podcast and other people's podcasts, at the beginning when I first started, like I didn't even have social media. I had never been on Facebook. This was three years ago. Yeah. I had never been on Facebook, never been on Instagram, nothing. And so for me, it's been this kind of very revealing <laughs> journey. So when I started the podcast, what was happening was, is I was very revealing in the podcast. I was mm -hmm. for sure myself. I was like, this is what's happening. My vagina's on fire. Sex, oh my God, get away. Like Rogaine in my hair every night, like the whole thing. But then on my Instagram, because that felt even more public to me than the podcast, because the podcast, somebody has to go through 16 steps to listen to your podcast. You know what I yeah. mean? They have to like find out about it, get on the platform, find the episode, blah, blah, blah. But Instagram is a little bit more accessible. You just feed the machine and people view it. Yeah. But what was happening, I found, was the authenticity of my Instagram wasn't matching my podcast. I was talking very deeply on my podcast, but my Instagram was not not authentic, but it was much more closed. Mm -hmm. I wasn't talking about my husband. I wasn't talking about my kids. I wasn't talking about my vagina. I wasn't talking about my sweating armpits and all of the things. It was just more like hi, this is my podcast and this is what I'm doing and this is what the episode's about and here's my dog and whatever. No one else said anything to me, but to me, I was like, okay, I know that I'm, I should be keeping my Instagram a certain way so that my kids don't hate me and my husband doesn't think that I fell off the <laughs> cuckoo's <laughs> nest. Yeah. But at some point within the first few months, I said to them, I was like, look, you guys, I, I know that my Instagram gives you like full on cringe and you want to crawl under the table, but I just need to let you know that I need my Instagram to match my podcast. So there's going to be some more revealing things and yeah. I'm going to be showing pictures of you and annoying the fuck out of you and all the things. Do I take stuff down that they don't like with the way they look? Sometimes, all the time, no. But I really needed them to understand that part of my brand and my personality just as a human being is a little TMI. Well, part of your life is them. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so I can share to a certain extent. I think my kids have probably muted me at this point. <laughs> 
Which is fine. They haven't blocked which is, me. Yeah, it's great. Which but is they great. don't know won't Exactly. <laughs> all their friends follow me, which is yeah. great. They see all my stories and whatever. But I've known them all for so long, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. And he's like, please don't let my college friends find out about you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Most of them already have. And it's not a big deal. But they realize that. But yes. Going back to your original question, I think that the relatability factor is probably the biggest one. And going back to another point that we were talking about before is I think that midlife women need to find some person, mentor, or thing that inspires them. Mm. So I might be your person. You might listen to my fuck and my this and my that and be like, she's my BFF. She's my person. I totally get this. I'm in. You might listen to me and be like, that's too much for me. I need someone who's like straightforward to the point. Here's your information. Here's the encyclopedia of menopause. And I'm happy with that. Then I'm not your person. But if you want to have like this BFF, you're sitting at my table. We're having a shoot the shit conversation about all things ranging from Israel to my inner bitch, then I'm your person. And right. I think that that has been the quick success of the brand and the podcast that people see. Which is, I think, a great lesson in any endeavor, any entrepreneurial endeavor, where I expand entrepreneurship to include writing a book, starting a podcast, yeah, for sure. starting a nonprofit. Any creative kind of outlet, I yeah. think. I think it's to have that really pointy edge. That's how you pierce the noise is to know who you are, to lean fully into it and not worry about the people who aren't going to be interested. That's really not your job. It's not your concern. And you're there for the people that you can impact. So be fully present in that. Yeah. And I'm like, if I'm your person, great. Tell your friends, tell everyone. And if I'm not your person, unfollow me. That's cool too. Yeah. You know, and I'm okay with that. And especially with what's going on in the world, and I definitely have opinions on that. If you want to unfollow me, that's fine. But if it's not me and it is someone else, I just hope that midlife women take the opportunity to find people who are doing things that either inspire them or interest them to kind of combat the spiritual vacancy. Mm. We all need to feel like we have... Oh, that's cool what Ned is doing. I'm really interested in the topic she's talking about. I'm going to check in with her. Or like, oh, I love this meditation Instagram platform. Yeah. Like, I'm going to kind of check in with that on a daily or weekly basis. And just having something, some kind of mentor-ish, even if you don't know the person, or something, someone inspirational to you for that kind of like self-expansion personal arsenal. I think that's that's a great exercise, something that we can do as soon as we leave this podcast, which is to find <laughs> something that inspires us. And generally speaking, when I talk about curiosities, and I, I say the same thing to my two kids who are in college, like, don't worry about what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Just pay attention to what you're curious about. What is igniting you? This whole idea of finding your passion, like in four years, that's a lot. It's a lot in 48 years. Yes. I have likened midlife to the college years in that there's this expansion of everything. Like time has shifted. We've questioned things in a new way. You're dropping old friends, making new yes. friends. You're doing a life audit, a hundred thousand yes. percent. But in college, you have this four, hopefully four year time frame in which you're supposed to like navigate this season. In midlife, people get stuck circling the drain for 10 years and it can lead to depression. It's not just menopause that can lead to these things. There's some real shifts happening in your life. If you go into empty nest syndrome and you are at a loss, like it's it's real. It's not just like, oh, they've left and now I've got more free time. It can be debilitating for people who that was what they felt assigned to. That was what they felt like their purpose was. And they can suffocate their kids in the process, their adult kids, right? Because they're demanding connectedness or, or that sort of reason for being. So I think this idea of identifying what you're curious about is really important for yourself. It's for you to find something that sparks your interest or lights that fire and to pay attention to what those little cookie crumbs are and what they could lead to for you. You've interviewed so many experts. You've talked to people about so many different things, many of which 
you've shared with us already. What are some of the things that has surprised you about this midlife season or this midlife stage? Judgment. Say more. Just that I feel like women in general, starting in, you know, elementary school of like, you can't sit here and you're not wearing the right leggings and you don't have the right, you know, backpack and all of that. I think that what I have loved the most about midlife for myself is really, really digging into this idea of like, the inner bitch will always be going. Like you always have to work at kind of trying to mute that and trying to rework your own self-doubt and your self-limiting beliefs. But I feel like at the same time, there's equally as strong of this idea of like the peanut gallery, the carpool moms. What are they going to say? What are they going to say if I start a podcast? What are they going to say if I start an Instagram and I'm talking about X, Y, and Z? And I think so many of us, get stopped and stuck with the idea that other people are going to be judging us. Mm -hmm. But I think what has surprised me the most is the fact that people aren't judging us as much as we think they are. They don't have time to be thinking about what we're doing on a daily basis. And if they do, they need to find a hobby (laughs) or a part-time job. Yes, You know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of times... We use that as an excuse to not pursue the things because we're like, oh, well, she's going to think this and my mom's going to think that and this person's going to think that. So it's easier just to not do anything. And I really like this idea of doing you whatever that is. Like I get Botox. I'm not ashamed of it. Like that's what I do. It's like, do the Botox, don't do the Botox, but don't judge other people for what their choice is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. The only place where I do judge right now, to be honest, Netta, and I probably shouldn't say this, are people who are not speaking up during the world events. Like, you don't have to, like, start an Instagram campaign or start a rally, but at least, you know, just sort of speaking up for humanity. Acknowledging what's going on. Yeah, acknowledging what's going on. And, like, to show up at a dinner party and, like, nobody's talking about it, it's like it's happening over there. That's like, oh, my God. But in terms of doing you, we're in a place right now in midlife where we've sort of earned the right to be self-obsessed, not in a narcissistic way, but in a like, hey, I'm 48 years old, like you said, I've lived through some experiences in my life. I've experienced, you know, making friends, losing friends, having people agree with me, having people disagree with me. And by the time you get to midlife, it's like you've earned the right to just do whatever the fuck you want to do. Yeah. And if someone's going to judge you, they probably shouldn't really be part of your life. Yeah. And that's okay. It feels really hard. And it doesn't feel good in the moment. It feels hard, but there's something precious about being able to say yes and no at this point in life. Yes, yes this is what I'm leaning towards. Yes, this is what I'm moving toward. No, these relationships aren't serving me any anymore. To me, it's less self-centered and it's more responsible. Be responsible for who you are and what you were created to do. Be responsible for the voice that's inside of you. Take responsibility for being fully Sarah. That's what you owe the world. Yeah. And it's like, you're kind of like trying to fight this herd mentality of like, well, everyone else is doing this and everyone else thinks this and everyone thinks this in the world and that in the world, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, what do you think? What feels good for you right now? Because for a lot of our lives, we're doing things because we're checking boxes. And At this point, I feel like I've checked a lot of boxes, of my own personal boxes. It's like, I went to school, I got a graduate degree, I had two kids, you know, all of these things. I'm a good human being. But then it's like, once you've checked sort of what you consider to be your basic boxes, um, whatever those are, like some people don't want to have kids, that's fine. But it's like, whatever your personal boxes are. But once you've checked those, it's kind of a cool space. Like we were talking about earlier of like, of figuring out those curiosities. But I think some of us get stressed, including me of like, well, what if I don't have that? Like, secret passion or like what if I people are like well look back to what your past enjoyments were well 
maybe I didn't have like that many things. Like maybe I wasn't like a flamenco dancer at one time or like I wasn't a painter in elementary school and suddenly I want to go back to that. And I think women sometimes judge themselves because they can't immediately think of what their passions are. What that is. It's like the college student. Well, what do you want to do with your life? And that's why I like this idea of the self-expansion because it's like, well, this week it might be meditation. The next week it might be 10,000 steps. The next week I might be taking an art history class. I don't know. Like my husband like said he would never play golf. Like he thinks he's like a professional golfer now. (laughs) But like it works for him right now. It sounds like what you're saying is giving yourself permission in any of those directions. Yeah. And to be okay with, you don't always have the answer. And it's very hard when you're a control freak like myself to live in murky waters. Yeah. The problem is with midlife, sometimes there isn't a plan. Yes. I think that's actually how a lot of us are feeling. You know, you wake up and you're like, what's my structure today? Yeah. There's no agenda. I want to go back to something you said, which is by the time this podcast goes out, sadly, I think we will still be in the same, a very similar state. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. And that is what is going on in Israel and the conflict in that region, the conflict that has been, for those who don't know, has been going on for a long time. It's been brought to the world stage because it's so inhumane and desperate right now. You have spent some time talking about those things from your worldview, from your point of view, from your ancestral point of view. And I wanna acknowledge something. People are gonna come out and say lots of things. I want us to do our own research. And part of that is being able to listen to opposing views. And you and I talked about earlier, as mothers, it's hard not to see the faces of our own children as being the people who are raped, abducted, killed. And this is heavy. And I know that as people listen to this, this is heavy. And you and I had said, we're not gonna get into this, but I think we kind (laughs) of have to just touch on it. I want to first say to you, thank you for being honest, to come out and to speak on behalf of so many people who don't have a voice right now. I think it's important that we not shy away from these things, but that we respectfully approach them with as much humanity and as much homework historical homework, but also just recognizing these are human beings, people. These are human beings. Let's talk about humanity. So sometimes for us, all we can do is come on and say, I'm sorry for the conflict. This is a difficult time. We as a platform, as an Instagram, as a whatever you you have to offer, want to be a safe space, but we want to be a space where we can have conversation too. So thank you for being one of those spaces. It's hard to have you on the podcast and not acknowledge that. I know. I I always just like to say to people, this is your platform. This is your yeah. place. Like, you know, some people talk politics. Some people don't talk politics. And like we talked about before we recorded, I just like to be respectful of that, you know, because yeah. I know that like with my podcast for three years, I haven't spoken about politics. That hasn't been a thing for me. I've really kept that out of the midlife space. But this, to me, felt like it wasn't just politics. Mm -hmm. It felt like humanity. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as a midlife woman with a midlife platform, and many of us happen to be moms, it was a huge omission for me not to speak up. Do I want hate mail and people unfollowing me and blah, blah, blah? Like, no, of course not. That's not ideal, but I'm okay with that. If that's, look, I want a platform where people feel safe and people feel comfortable. People can have differing opinions, but we're not nasty to each other. And I can't even tell you how many messages I've gotten from people thanking me, and they're not even Jews. Yeah. They're like, thank you for posting things. I feel like if I have a certain number of followers following my podcast, following my platform, and I'm not talking about humanity, 
it just doesn't seem right to me. As we know, with all these other marginalized groups, we've like changed curriculums, we've changed our school books, we've adopted new ways of thinking and new lenses. It sounds like you're putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. Everything you said at the front and in the middle of the podcast about who cares what somebody's going to think, we get to do us, right? This is that opportunity. And for you, it has been to lean into this and to question this and to shed light on it, to bring attention to it. So you're actually just living out what you just recommended that we do. I did read something recently on Instagram where somebody called out someone who had a big platform for not saying anything. And his father is passing away, is in the process of that. And he said, let's be sensitive to people who have their own heartache right now in their life. And so I want to say that because I realize that as you and I are having this conversation, there are people listening who are going through their own heartbreak. I totally appreciate that. In the same home, in the same house, across the street. And so we want to hold space for all of those people. If you and I are saying, hey, you be you, you do you, then we're giving permission for those people as well. Having said all that, Thank you for the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I think there are some people who can come online and say that. Yeah. And just say, hey, you guys, thanks for being here. But to acknowledge what's happening. Yeah, just to acknowledge what's happening. Thanks, Sarah, for that. I mean, I totally shift gears yeah, for a second. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do some non sequiturs. <laughs> what has surprised you about launching this platform and podcast? You're three years in. It has been an entrepreneurial endeavor. It has been something that's probably taken you at times out of your comfort zone. And at times it's been like, this is totally who I've always been. And I finally have a platform to be this dynamic personality. What has surprised you about this journey? How fucking hard it is. <laughs> Here's that honesty again. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I mean, look, I wake up some days and I'm like, I love this. I can't imagine myself doing anything else. And then there's other nights like my husband will like come home from work and I'm like, this is so hard. <laughs> I don't get it. Everything is a curveball. But I think that if you can like I said before, figure out how to be less of a control freak and figure out how to be okay in murky waters and to be okay with not having a 100% 10-step plan all the time. I think my whole life has, I don't want to say performative because I feel like that is like judgmental of myself, but I've lived in a very sort of performance-driven linear approach of like, okay, go to this school, check, do this, check, do this, Mm -hmm. check, like this very linear trajectory to going to a place in midlife where we don't really have as many external benchmarks. It's not like, okay, graduated from college, check, did this, check. It feels curvy linear and it feels swampier and we don't have as many external validation check marks. So we're like, am I doing a good job? Am I okay? Am I being meaningful enough? We all want to be seen. We all want to feel heard. We all want to belong. And I think sometimes in midlife, because we don't have those check marks, other than like, what's your weight? What's your A1C (laughs) insulin level? What's your muscle mass on your DEXA scan? Do you know what I'm saying? That it's sometimes hard to wake up because you're like, I don't have a test to take today. I don't have a report card to get today. And it's kind of creating your own midlife report card for lack of a better term. And like we said before, maybe that report card is what self-expansion thing have I done this week? Did I do my 10,000 steps today? And being okay with that. It's almost like you can see it as a desert that's ahead of you. Like, how do I walk through that? Or you can see it as the Wild West gold rush sort of opportunity. There is something to move toward, even if you don't know what it is. And that feels really hard sometimes. Yeah. But I think this idea of having a lens of seeing what is nourishing and what is additive versus Mm -hmm. this makes me feel yucky and I don't want to be here and I don't want to be doing this. And I feel like by the time we've gotten to midlife, like we have that choice. It's like, well, I can choose to be on that podcast and I can also say no. I can choose to exercise every day or I can choose not to. 
But I think getting to this point in the historically for myself, I have had a harder time saying no and saying a no because, well, what if I'm judged if I don't do X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z, or if I don't join that committee, or I don't, you know, do what other people think I should be doing. Right. And I think at this point in our lives, it's kind of awesome to be able to say like, yeah, I'm choosing to do this because I want to. I mean, do I want to work out and do weights? No. I will not lie about that. <laughs> but you do them anyway. I've seen it I'm on your Instagram. I'm talking about the yeah. dumb weights. <laughs> like we say to our kids, shit is hard. Yeah. Life is hard. And sometimes we have to do shit that we don't want to be doing, but we need to be doing. And I feel like certain health things in midlife are have-tos at this point. There's too much research and evidence and information out there. It's basically saying do these whatever five things and you will ensure yourself a better later life. Yeah. But it's hard to do those things. It's hard to get up every day and be like, okay, I'm going to lift the weights today. That sounds fun. It's a lot more calm to just scroll Instagram. I mean, if there aren't world events happening, but doing shit we don't want to do and leaning into it, it's kind of an interesting paradox because you're a midlifer who's earned the right to not do shit they don't want to do. But then at the same time, these five things you need to do, even though they're hard and shitty and sucky and feel really terrible. But those things that you do, it's back to this responsibility thing. And I think it's a good responsibility. When you take care of yourself, you're around to to do the things that you love. A hundred percent. When you take care of yourself, you alleviate, hopefully, not in all circumstances, but you alleviate other people from having to take care of you. If you're being responsible with your own health right now, it impacts more than just us. Just when we think we're being self-centered, actually we're not. And I also think it helps if you have friends and family who believe in the same thing. Sure. You know, the fact that my husband works out and he's like, okay, I'm going to work out. And then I'm sitting in the sauna and I'm like, okay, me too. Okay. I'll come with you. you. Well, let's hop into our fast five because I think part of what you're talking about is these things. What's something that you do on a daily basis that keeps you grounded? Let me think about what grounded is. I'm not a big meditator, I have to be honest. I think that walking calms me down and it also helps me sleep. I find that the days that I don't walk, I'm up a lot of the night. And are you walking in the morning and how long are you walking? I walk in the morning, most mornings, and I would say 30 to 45 minutes with a weighted vest an eight pound weighted vest on my treadmill. Serious walking. Serious walking, but I do hold on a lot just because sometimes I space out and I don't want to be the girl who- Has two black eyes. Yeah. So I kind of hold, you know, they're like, don't hold on. It's better cardio. I'm like, fuck it. I'm at an incline and I'm wearing an eight pound vest, but sometimes it's like my space out time. And I'm like, I don't want to be the person who broke two hips because I was walking on the treadmill. Yeah. Who knew it could be so dangerous? I know. And then I do I do walk with my husband a lot and the dog. Oh, you do have a dog. After all that, you're not a dog person. Oh, yeah, but he's a dog person. Got I it. love dogs. That's right. I've seen your dog on your Instagram. Yeah. I knew that. I don't want to walk the dog, and I don't want to give the dog allergy shots, <laughs> and I don't want to do any of that. It's his responsibility. What is something you're currently reading right now? What's on your bedside table? Oh, my God. Netta, do you want me to send you a picture? (laughs) I feel like I get that answer so many. Is it fiction or nonfiction? Oh, I don't do fiction. Yeah. Isn't that weird? No, I'm the same. Guilty. Yeah. I have to feel like I'm like, I'm getting a nugget. I need a nugget. And I probably should get better about that. I should probably live my life more in fantasy land. I don't know. Like, you know, Sweet Valley High or something. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I love me some good self-help and some good how-tos. I just love them. I mean, we could probably use Fifty Shades of Grey at this point. (laughs) Is there a midlife? That's your other book. You could write the midlife version of that. Yes, trust me, I know. My husband would be very excited to know that. Fifty Shades of Pink. Oh, my God. I'm like, no, I can't have sex right now. I have to do this. I can't. He's like, how many? Other excuses can you come up with? I'm like, I have to do a podcast. I have to shower. He's like, okay, all right. I give up at this point. Yeah. That aside, what's something that you're loving about this season, this stage of life? Other than Rogaine? No, I'm just kidding. Wait, can I ask you, because you brought up Rogaine twice. 
Have you found that to be more effective than, I don't want to name some of the other brands, but some of the brands that we see on Instagram? You know, like the supplement pills? I don't know. I don't know what works, to be quite honest. I'm throwing everything at the kitchen sink yeah. right now, but I will be honest. I don't use Rogaine okay. every day because I like my blow dry and I don't want to fuck up my blow dry. But what I did do is I have the liquid mm -hmm. Rogaine and I got this squeezy bottle that has a needle on the end from okay. Amazon. So I can really like- Pinpoint it. Pinpoint it. So like I knew I was going to have a blow dry today because I hadn't washed my hair in six days, I think. Yeah. That- I like pinpoint in all these special spots and then it doesn't feel as overwhelming. Okay. And you've seen the difference. Look, do I have a full extra layer of hair? No. Is it probably psychological and placebo? Yes. But, you know, I'm I'm trying to do all the things I okay. can do to save my hair. Because okay. I know that when I come off birth control pills to go to HRT, I'm probably going to lose half of my hair. Yeah, I did. Guilty. You did? I lost a lot of hair. Yeah. But I lost a lot of hair with all three pregnancies too. So I knew that another hormonal flux was going to do that. My thing right now is melasma. Okay. So that's why I can't do the sauna with my husband because you can't have that like internal heat situation. He'll probably live longer from all the saunaing. <laughs> but you'll be happy. Yeah. I'll be confused and happy. <laughs> That's okay. That sounds like my right. current state. So it's fine. It's fine. Okay. So yeah. What are you loving about this season right now? I've always been a kind of do me kind of person. Like that's just my personality and pretty confident in my decisions. Um, but I think that living midlife out loud publicly has been fun. Yeah. I mean, my kids and my husband would be like TMI, but I think that they have seen other, you know, women's responses to it mm. and like really connecting to it, that they they get it. And I think that living midlife out loud and making women feel seen and heard and not like the only one yeah. feeling this way and just kind of having these open conversations like I'm having with you and having women feel like they have a seat at the table too, even if it's the complaining table. It's okay. It's a table. Right? We got it. It's where we connect. Exactly. Your second child is a girl, right? Yeah. Okay. What would you say to her about midlife? That it doesn't have to be frumpy and lumpy. Mm. Yeah. Not just aesthetically, yeah. but psychologically. You can have some pizzazz. You can feel alive. But that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be days where you feel clunky and schlunky and you don't want to get off the sofa. Because believe me, I have a lot of those, especially lately with like the world. But I think generally speaking, for her to know that it's not a time, like even though you want to give up, because you feel like shit a lot of the time, yeah. that it's on you to not give up. And this idea of like, the only way out of the midlife waiting room is you. Mm, that's quotable. And how has launching this platform, you talked about your family being proud of you and seeing the impact it's had. How has launching the Flexible Neurotic liberated you, Sarah? Oh my God, I, who thought I would be talking about my midlife vintage vagina in a public way? <laughs> who thought I would be talking about the insertion of vaginal estrogen? Yeah. I think that that has been very liberating of just like we have all these kind of quiet, weird midlife secrets and living it in this public way. It's like, hey, you guys, I feel like that too. Hey, you guys. I don't feel like having sex right now. Hey, you guys, I feel really stuck and bored and itchy and I'm not having an affair with a tennis teacher. So what's my next thing? And I'm not buying a new car and whatever. So it's like, how am I going to scratch my midlife itchies and find that novelty that we're all searching for? I mean, the research shows that every five to seven years that we're seeking novelty. Mm. And it's like, what will that novelty be for you? I mean, as we know, like buying a car and a new house and all those things, like that's fun for a few minutes, but it's fleeting. Yeah. So it's finding that novelty that is more enduring. This has been that novelty for you. Yeah. You've got four more years. And then, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah. back on the podcast to Ooh. see what you're doing now. Oh my God, I don't know. Sarah, thank you for saying yes to this. 
conversation. It's been so fun to have you on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. And Liberty listeners, thanks for taking this time to hang out with Sarah and learn a little bit about what she's doing. Please follow her at The Flexible Neurotic. And we will have her handles in the show notes for you guys. So you can go see all the things that are pink and dry vagina and her dog and her her kids and all of it. And we can shovel shit together. And the gold shovel. It's a gold shovel, right? Yes, it's a golden shit shovel. You can go see it for yourself. Until next week, we'll see you guys then. Bye for now. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcast and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to move into your middle third with intention. Liberty Road is created by executive producer Netta Jones, supervising producer Elizabeth Windham, producer Julia Windham, and music by Jack Jones. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.